Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for your questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone phone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your speaker for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Tamara, and I too would like to join you in um, welcoming everyone to today's uh, Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, which is done in partnership with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And today's program is updates from the 44th, San 44th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, or SABCS, on Triple Negative Breast Cancer, or TNBC. And today's program is made possible by the Triple ne Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Gilead, a grant from Genentech, and an independent educational grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of, of today's program. And this is a very important program, and I want to just acknowledge that we have a lot of people on the call today. We have over 293 participants on the call today who come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from a number of countries, from Australia, Bahamas, China, Canada, India, Kenya, Singapore, South Africa, Turkey, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a, a quite a bit of a global call to some extent, um, and uh, we, we're delighted that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, before we begin with our first speaker, um, I would like to actually um, ask you just a few questions. And the reason we do that is it gives us a sense of what you know coming into the program. And it actually um, allows us, as we plan programs for, well, for next year, 2022, which is right around the corner, your feedback is very in invaluable to us. So and those of you who are live streaming the program will be able to see the questions and will be able to rate the questions. So on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand new research on triple negative breast cancer presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates from San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of diagnostic testing, biomarkers, and genetic testing in informing treatment options from SABCS. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. I understand new developments in the pre prevention and management of treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain presented at SABCS for people living with triple negative breast cancer. And then this will be the last question. I understand the role of investigational new therapies in clinical trials for people living with triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I'd like to thank all of you for participating in these questions. And now um, it's really my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, 
And our first speaker is Dr. Virginia Kaklamani. And Dr. Kaklamani is Professor of Medicine, Ruth McLean Bauman, Bowers Chair in Breast Cancer Research and Treatment, A.V. Alexander, Distinguished Chair in Oncology, Leader, Breast Oncology Program, UT Health San Antonio, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Kaklamani will be addressing an overview of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, Delta, and Omicron. New research on on triple negative breast cancer presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium on early stage triple negative breast cancer and communicating with the healthcare team with telehealth, telemedicine appointments. It's my great pleasure to, to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kakramani. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for the invitation. It's wonderful to talk to the group. Uh, so, you know, while you were talking, I was I was thinking of uh, one of the one of the memories I had from SABCS this year, where I was sitting in the audience, and we had three people in the panel, and then we had a Zoom screen with a uh, radiation oncologist from Australia, a pathologist from France, and a patient advocate from North Carolina, and and it hit me of of how global things are, and although we've been living in uh, the past two years in a, a global pandemic, it really has brought on some amazing opportunities. And this call really uh, highlights how people now from all over the world are are joining and 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 learning, and we're learning from them as well. So so this is just wonderful to see. So one of the sessions that we had at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium was focused on COVID-19, and I'd like to urge your your listeners to to go and take a look. It's it's a little over two hours long, so it's a pretty long session, but wonderful talks from, you know, experts in vaccines and 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 people that have done research in the past two years of how the the, the pandemic has impacted our diagnosis and treatment, and and what the 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 summary from this session was, or at least one of them, it was the fact that in the in, in the first few months of the pandemic, we saw a, a huge decrease in screening, and we really haven't caught up yet. So even now, we see patients in clinic that um, did not have mammograms in the past two years because of the pandemic, and we had a lot of misdiagnoses because of that. So now we're seeing people coming in with uh, breast cancers that are of, of later stages because of the pandemic, and we're still playing catch-up. So extremely important for us as, as advocates, for us as patients, to, 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 to tell our relatives to actually go and, and get screened. And, and regardless of the pandemic, there's all of these, um, all of these screening places are, <clears throat> are taking measures to, to, to maintain safety uh, for our patients. Um, and there has been delay in care. Um, there's been delay in genetic testing and genetic counseling, in, in treatment, in surgery, in, in, in chemotherapy, um, and uh, even reconstructive surgery. Many patients have had delays in care. And this has, uh, has, 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 is going to, 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 to translate to an increase in mortality for our patients. So, and that's not just for breast cancer, that's for other cancers as well, but obviously we're focusing on breast cancer today. So very important for us to recognize that. And what we've done in the past few years, a couple of years is we've adjusted. So we have adjusted, for example, with televisits. 
which is something that I think we all wanted to do many years ago, and, and we were not allowed based on payers. And now Medicare and, and private insurances are allowing us to perform these televisits and video visits, and, and this has helped a lot. It has helped people in rural areas that may not have the opportunity to go and see a specialist in a big city. It, it has helped our patients. It has helped with, with being able to do these symptom-based visits much quicker, and the patient satisfaction has been very high uh, because of these telephone visits. Now, the other thing that we've done is we've actually started using neoadjuvant therapy more. And for me, by neoadjuvant therapy, I mean therapy before a patient has surgery. Recognizing the fact that the surgery may be delayed, we've taken this opportunity to give treatment to our patients before surgery and watch as the tumor shrinks. And, and we, we used to do that a lot with um, chemotherapy, but we didn't do it as much with endocrine therapy. In the past couple of years, studies have shown that we're utilizing more endocrine therapy for estrogen-positive breast cancer patients um, so that, again, we don't have a delay in the initiation of their, of, their, of their treatment. Other things that we've done is we have virtual support groups, virtual teleconferences like this one, and virtual tumor boards, which, you know, never as good as, as, as doing them in person, but with those virtual tumor boards, you can connect to institutions that are in different cities and in different states and still get expert opinions as to what to do with your patients. So, uh, you know, it, it, this, this saying came up many times in, at San Antonio that in every challenge lives a greater opportunity. And, and it really does. And, and I think we've, we've, we've tried to embrace what's happened in the past two years and, and made the best of it. So um, in, the, in the last few minutes, I wanted to go over some updates from early stage triple negative breast cancer. And um, we, we've known in the past several years that if we're able to give chemotherapy before surgery, not only can we predict what the risk of recurrence is, but more importantly, we can tailor our treatment after surgery to decrease the risk of a, of, of a woman's cancer of recurring. And one of the large trials that was presented called the Keynote 522 trial showed that if we give, if we're able to give not just chemotherapy, but also immunotherapy in early stage setting, then we're able to, to um, improve outcomes for our patients and we're able to uh, delay or prevent the breast cancer from recurring. Now, immunotherapy, as I'm sure most of you know, is, is treatment where we empower the immune system with some antibodies that we use to uh, attack the cancer. And this immunotherapy has been used in many other treat, uh, uh, tumors. Breast cancer was probably one of the latest cancers to, to, to start using immunotherapy, but we've been using it now successfully in the uh, early stage setting. Um, also, we looked at uh, another clinical trial, which, is, uh, which, which was focused on women that have mutations in two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, and using a drug called Olaparib. And we, we found that this drug, if we use it after surgery, it can, again, prevent cancer recurrences. But uh, a nice study from this year, San Antonio, looked at quality of life of patients that are taking Olaparib for a year, and it found that those women may have some uh, side effects while they receive the treatment, mostly some nausea, 
and, and some uh, uh, GI side effects. But ultimately, after we, we, they finish the treatment, they, they, um, they do as well as, as women that did not take this pill for a year. And obviously, the outcomes being better, I think this was very encouraging that uh, this is another uh, wonderful treatment option for, for many women that have mutations in BRCA1 and BRCA2. And then finally, many studies looked at how to monitor the cancer using um, circulating tumor DNA, and that's a very simple blood test that we can do. And this is very early, but what we're hoping is that by identifying this uh, uh, ctDNA, we're able to uh, design treatments for that specific breast cancer, for that specific triple negative breast cancer, to prevent the cancer from recurring. So those are kind of my updates for early stage breast cancer, and I look forward to the discussion at the uh, at the end of these uh, these talks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Kakamani. That was really outstanding. Just a wonderful way to begin the program today. Uh, lots of wonderful information. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Manel Liu, and Dr. Liu is Professor and Research Chair, Division of Medical Oncology, Department of Oncology, Consultant, Division of Anatomic Pathology, Department of Laboratory Medicine and, and Pathology, Medical Director, Office of Specialty Collaboration, Collaborations and Contracts, Co-Leader, Genomics in Action, Strategy, Strategic Priority, Center for Individualized Medicine, Mayo Clinic. And Dr. Liu will be addressing updates on clinical trials and advancing treatment choices for triple negative breast cancer, the increasing role of diagnostic testing, biomarkers, and genetic testing in informing treatment options for triple negative breast cancer, and investigational new therapies and clinical trials for triple negative breast cancer. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Liu. Thank you very much. It's hard to follow uh, Dr. Kaklamani, but I will try. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be with all of you today. My only regret is that I don't get to see your faces. Um, but it, it, I'll just echo the fact that it is amazing that we have an international teleconference, let alone um, during the course of the pandemic, but just a few days before the, the Christmas holiday. So thanks again to everybody for taking their time. Uh, I'm tasked with giving you some updates um, in triple negative breast cancer, my focus is really on diagnostics or testing that we do on tumor tissue or on the blood to help us better identify uh, what therapies we should be considering for our patients with metastatic disease. Um, at the very basis um, of this diagnosis is the hormone receptor and HER2 status. There are two hormone receptors, the estrogen receptor and the progesterone receptor. Um, we again cluster them as hormone receptors. Um, and these are basically reflective of the fact that many cancers are driven by the female hormones. This specific subtype that we're focused on today is not driven by the female hormones, hence it's hormone receptor negative. Uh, HER2 uh, is a member of, of uh, a family, if you will, of four different proteins that all interact with each other 
to create signals within cancer cells to make more of themselves or proliferate or to go places, meaning to metastasize. Um, again, in this specific type of cancer, HER2-negative cancer, that's really not an issue. Uh, so that I don't like the term triple negative, quite frankly, because I think it has these negative connotations um, about poor prognosis, et cetera. And quite frankly, it is a description of a type of cancer uh, that we have to take into account as we're thinking about therapies because we can't use treatments that are directed against the hormone receptors or against HER2, which is why for the longest time chemotherapy was really the mainstay or the focus of medical therapy uh, for this specific subtype of cancer. Uh, but what we're learning is that uh, hormone receptor negative and HER2 negative breast cancer is a, a, a giant class of multiple other subtypes of cancer, and that's where the diagnostics can be helpful in understanding the, the we call them the biological underpinnings, or basically what's driving these different cancers. One hormone receptor negative, HER2 negative tumor uh, is not the same as another. So we have to think both about the patient as well as the tumor itself and when we're thinking about what our treatment options are. Um, as a standard of care, we will look at the estrogen progesterone receptors and the HER2. Uh, we are also now increasingly looking at PDL1, um, which is programmed death ligand 1. It is the target of our immune checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, we now have two approved for use in breast cancer, pembrolizumab uh, and atezolizumab. And you'll hear about those you just heard a little bit from early stage disease and the, in the next presentation we'll hear about it uh, in metastatic disease. PDL1 uh, is also not one size fits all. Uh, there are multiple ways to look at this particular protein target, uh, and the testing depends on which drug you are actually looking at. Um, so it is very heterogeneous and um, something that we have to um, uh, test for when we have a specific drug in mind. Um, even within a particular test for PDL1, there is a spectrum of what we can uh, consider positive or negative or what might define potential benefit from uh, our immune checkpoint inhibitors. Um, and a little bit more to come after um, I talk a little bit more about the standard of care tests. Um, other things that people are starting to look at that aren't really considered standard of care are terms you might hear, tumor mutation burden, as well as tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. These are other ways to try to categorize uh, these different breast cancers to understand how immunogenic or how much immunotherapy might actually benefit attacking these tumors. Uh, there is a wide variety uh, of testing that is available to look at these. Uh, so you have to be careful when you hear these terms and are being uh, these are being applied to a specific patient or a specific situation um, because the type of testing will, will vary um, and some are more reliable than others and one can also argue that we don't know what is reliable um, in fact. When we talk about testing of both the tumor and the host, um, just I'll, I'll circle back to what Dr. Kaklamani raised earlier about genetic testing. Um, it is important to think about germline or genetic testing, and that's testing for some um, change in the DNA, some error perhaps in what we were born with that made it more likely for us to develop breast or other cancers. These are hereditary or inherited risk factors, um, and they can define 
therapy um, in terms of our PARP inhibitors in particular. Um, so something to think about certainly when uh, an initial diagnosis of early stage breast cancer is made, um, but certainly if it hasn't been done already, something to consider um, in metastatic hormone receptor negative, HER2 negative uh, breast cancer in particular. And then the rest of what I'm going to talk about is somatic tumor testing or testing that's done on tumor tissue or in the blood that is looking for um, factors that are specific to the tumor, not necessarily the patient. Um, so just a few from San Antonio uh, Breast Cancer Symposium, a few presentations that I think are worth mentioning. Um, going back to PDL1 testing for immunotherapy um, and this, uh, the way that we score for or look at the target um, for PD1 or PDL1, um, there is a spectrum of what we can consider positive. Um, specifically for the drug pembrolizumab or Keytruda, uh, is looking at PDL1 testing and something that is called the um, uh, the CPS score. And this is looking at uh, something that pathologists would test for, and it could be anywhere from zero to 100. And the thought initially was that any uh, positive CPS score, meaning one or above, would be some uh, would identify patients that might benefit. Well, in a large trial looking specifically at pembrolizumab, uh, it's determined that maybe, you know, 1% isn't enough and maybe we should use a cutoff of 10. These drugs, these immunotherapy drugs, uh, can be associated with significant side effects, and so we have to have that delicate balance of risk and benefit. Um, so more to be seen about that, but we're honing in on this particular uh, factor or characteristic of cancers to better identify therapy. Um, what we've been talking about mostly is looking at proteins. Um, we now have entered the era of looking at DNA um, or the coding material of cells, including tumor cells. And so when you hear the term next generation sequencing, it's basically the use of technologies to look at multiple DNA changes um, from a single tumor in a single patient. Uh, there are a number of trials now that have been using next-generation sequencing to identify targets for targeted therapy. Uh, again, it's not just chemotherapy, gratefully, that we have to offer our patients, and we are looking more and more at targeted agents like our checkpoint inhibitors. Uh, so there have been studies, and the French conducted a trial called Sephiro 2, which used this technology, next-generation sequencing, to better identify when a targeted therapy and if a specific targeted therapy might offer a patient. So it's not so much a study about drugs, so much as it about it's about it's a study about identifying the right drug for the right patient at the right time. Uh, and so more to come, although this is probably the first study in metastatic breast cancer to truly demonstrate that a strategy of sequencing a tumor, which does require, at least as it stands now, a biopsy or taking a piece of tumor tissue to do the analysis, that this can, in fact, identify therapies that can improve outcomes in metastatic disease. Um, so this will hopefully open the door to other clinical trial strategies. And then just one last word, you know, what we've talked about has been on tumor tissue requiring biopsies. Uh, there is a huge interest in looking at the blood as a source of 
tumor-related material for study. Um, Cell-free DNA is now, basically means tumor DNA uh, that's in the bloodstream that we can collect through a simple blood draw and analyze. And more and more work is being done to improve technologies to be able to use this in place of or in addition to tissue biopsies. And certainly, I for one would rather have my blood drawn than have um, a needle biopsy done through the skin into my liver or into another organ. Um, and this could also afford opportunities for multiple sampling because we're recognizing that tumor, uh, tumors change over the course of time. And we want to be able to react uh, and administer the right therapies at the right point in the evolution of a tumor, hoping to stop the evolution of the tumor um, and uh, get complete responses. So I'm going to end there and turn it back over to Dr. Messner. And again, thank you, everybody, for your attention and for being with us today, and happy holidays. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lou. That was really outstanding and just a really, um, so many wonderful, um, you know, so many wonderful takeaways from the con from the conference that you've shared with the group today. Um, thank you. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Kamal Abu Hussein, and Dr. Hussein is a lead physician, breast medical oncology, MD Anderson at Cooper Cancer Center. And Dr. Hussein will be addressing new updates on the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer from uh, San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And they'll also be addressing preventing and managing treatment side effects, discomfort, and pain in the context of COVID-19, Delta, and Omicron. And lastly, guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, adherence, follow-up care, and discussion of open notes. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hussein. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. Um, such an honor to follow two great uh, breast cancer doctors that I personally learn a lot from all the time. Um, so first, an update on the metastatic triple negative breast cancer. In the San Antonio conference, they presented an update on the keynote 355 clinical trial so previously, Dr. Kaklamani talked to us about the Keynote 522 trial, which is the early stage triple negative trial. Uh, this one was in a metastatic setting. And previously, we've seen that there is a benefit from the combination of chemotherapy and an immunotherapy agent called pembrolizumab uh, when compared to chemotherapy alone. And the benefit that was previously seen was not only in terms of what we call uh, progression-free survival, which is the uh, duration of time that a patient with metastatic breast cancer gets to live without evidence of tumor progression, but also an improvement in overall survival, which is the overall longevity of the patient. Uh, in this update, they tried to clarify what is the correct cutoff for the PD-L1 positivity that pretends potential benefit from the immunotherapy, chemotherapy benefit. And um, they used a test called CPS that Dr. Liu just explained the meaning of. So basically, it's a combined positive score, and that is a test for the PDL1 detection in the tumors. And uh, they divided patients into four different categories based on the CPS score. So patients who were less than one, one to nine, 10 to 19, and more than or equal to 20. And at the end of this update, they were able to conclude that the most benefit is seen if you scored more than or equal to 10. So this showed us that the combination of 
uh, chemotherapy plus immunotherapy is a new standard of care treatment for patients with locally recurrent, unresectable, or metastatic triple negative breast cancer who score more than or equal to 10 with that test. And they were not able to see any new safety concerns during that clinical trial. Another exciting trial that they presented was an early phase one trial. It's a tropion pantumor 01 study. And that trial showed that in patients who have metastatic triple negative breast cancer who are previously treated with multiple lines of therapy, um, and that did not only include triple negative patients, but, only, but included also other types of cancers like small cell lung cancer, uh, they treated them with an antibody drug conjugate, which is a smart design type molecule where they identify a marker on the surface of the cancer cells. They develop an antibody towards that marker and they link a chemotherapy to it. And so it finds that marker and it gets that chemotherapy inside the cancer cells in the hope that it's a more targeted or directed um, therapy. This antibody drug conjugate is called DATO-DXD. Um, and I would like to point out that some of the patients on that trial were previously treated with other antibody drug conjugates, and some of them even have um, brain involvement with their disease. Now, they uh, reviewed very highly encouraging results with about 34% response rate and disease control rate about 75% in all the patients with triple negative um, breast cancer subset. Uh, regarding the side effects, it seems that um, there was a noted low-grade nausea and stomatitis, which is uh, inflammation of the inner lining of the mouth, were the most frequent um, side effects detected. So overall, a manageable safety profile. Um, so again, a small number of patients, because it's an early phase clinical trial, but very clinically meaningful results. And I'm saying this because the only FDA-approved antibody drug conjugate for this subset of metastatic triple negative breast cancer is a drug called Sasituzumab govicicam, which is a great drug and does seem to help some patients achieve nice results, but isn't very easily tolerated with a significant deal of fatigue, um, GI problems, and a significant decrease in blood counts. But it's always encouraging to learn about effective, well-tolerated options that hopefully could uh, be available to our patients in the near future. Uh, now, a little blurb about um, telemedicine, and Dr. Kaklamani has covered this previously in a very beautiful way. Um, I'll just say that the whole concept of virtual visits has definitely gained a lot of popularity since the beginning of the pandemic, and it has been very helpful for us and our patients to continue to communicate in a safe way. Um, I do like a lot of aspects of telemedicine and many patients report their satisfaction with how they're able to save time normally wasted in driving over to the cancer center, transportation, and you know, waiting in the lobby to get roomed, and above all, minimize exposure during this critical time. So it, it is always nice to meet up with your healthcare team from a comfortable setting at home. And I always ask my patients to write down um, their questions that come to mind between the visits so that we can go over it during those virtual meetings. Um, I definitely do not think that this is replacing that in-person visits, 
as there are some limitations to the, the virtual visits, like the lack of the ability to do a proper physical exam, but probably a hybrid model. So a combination between both is um, a reasonable approach as they both complement each other beautifully. Um, many of my patients like to include a family member or a friend who acts as their advocate um, during just, just like what we normally do during um, in-person visits in the office. Now, the third topic that I wanted to uh, touch on is um, symptom management uh, that is related to disease and therapy and life after breast cancer. There were a lot of uh, really important abstracts presented at the San Antonio Symposium, and um, there was one that was trying to understand the different variables that could pretend a higher likelihood of developing chemotherapy-induced chemo uh, neuropathy and hot flashes. Um, and those are the most prominent side effects seen after breast cancer treatment that could either be acute, so they could happen within the first 12 months, or they could be persistent, so happening in the second year onwards. And um, this happened in a decent number of patients. About 40% of the patients end up having those symptoms. And they were able to see um, different signals related to body mass index or baseline neuropathy before starting treatment, uh, the type of the chemotherapy and hormonal therapy that patients ended up receiving also the type of surgery. So they found that neuropathy is a lot more common in patients who underwent mastectomy compared to lumpectomy and the race of the patient. All of those different variables did play a role in increasing the odds of developing those side effects. And hopefully that could help us counsel patients more specifically what to expect moving forward after treatment. Um, there was an interesting abstract from Columbia University that looked at new and persistent sedative hypnotic use after adjuvant chemotherapy for um, early-stage breast cancer, and adjuvant means after surgery. So the group of drugs, benzodiazepines and other drugs like Zolpidem, are used normally to treat nausea and anxiety and insomnia, which is difficulty falling asleep or inability to have proper sleep and they were probably three times higher, um, those symptoms, in cancer patients compared to the general population, and it persists in more than 50% of breast cancer survivors when they looked at the four-year mark from finishing therapy. And they did see a sizable number of women receiving adjuvant chemotherapy that became new users of sedative hypnotics, um, and they continued to fill prescriptions up to one year after chemotherapy, which may represent a preventable complication in the management of early-stage breast cancer. Um, in the conference, they also reviewed uh, the potential use of minimal risk modalities like acupuncture in the management of musculoskeletal aches and pains, uh, hot flashes, insomnia, and even potentially chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy and there were some promising results with all of those. Um, they also reviewed the potential benefit of botanical cannabis as a useful adjunct to standard um, treatments in alleviating the side effects of cancer or treatment-related side effects. And although there were some preclinical findings that are promising, 
as an anti-tumor activity, but there are no convincing evidence as of yet in the medical uh, literature supporting anti-tumor activity of cannabis or cannabinoids. Um, another interesting abstract was discussing um, consequent uh, job loss and return to work and their relation to overall well-being after breast cancer treatment in um, young women, uh, both white and black women, and that came from UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, they looked at about 1,600 patients who were working at diagnosis with breast cancer, and they measured well-being by assessing disabilities of the arm, shoulder, and hand, and functional assessment during cancer therapy and categorized their work status as patients who were able to sustain their work, return to work, uh, or patients who had consequent um, job loss. And the fourth category are persistent um, non-employed patients. They showed that patients who were able to sustain their work or return to work had better overall well-being in all domains and that job loss is more common in black women compared to white patients. And that black women with job loss reported worse well-being uh, and greater disability and work-related difficulties. Um, following that, they also reviewed a um, systematic review of 26 studies, uh, which um, looked at perceived employer accommodation and or discrimination uh, as independent predictors of return to work. Um, it was really impressive, all those results, and I think that asking about work at our office visits may be a useful tool of screening for a wide range of well-being concerns, particularly in previously working survivors that belong to minority groups, which might eventually help us advocate for other interventions and help us to better understand conditions in which patients um, perceive employer support or discrimination. Um, finally, I would say that the whole concept of survivorship, which we, I personally used to think of as the period that starts from the time that the patient completes their initial stressful part of their treatment plan in early stage disease settings and are at a more stable place is probably not entirely accurate. Um, we're starting to understand that this is a reminder that potentially anyone with a diagnosis of cancer can be a long-term survivor and that we must have that in mind when choosing therapies to not only maximize responses, but also minimize long-term side effects and other effects that are serious resulting from the cancer treatments with uh, the goal of helping our patients return to their normal life as much as possible by the end of this journey. Uh, with that, I really thank you for being patient and uh, back to you, Dr. Besner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hussein. That was really outstanding and really uh, covering a range of different presentations at um, San Antonio um, uh, meeting. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is um, Ms. Haley Dinneman. Ms. Dinneman is an attorney, and she is the co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And she, I have to say, is the architect and really uh, the great supporter of these workshops and so many, many initiatives in the, uh, in the Triple Negative Breast Community. And Ms. Dinneman will be addressing the free programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. 
Um, and um, it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Ms. Dinnerman. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Messner. Uh, first, I want to take a moment to thank our presenters at Cancer Care and my and our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow presenters for the excellent update on the data coming out of this year's SABCS and for the insights on emerging research and treatment options. It goes without saying that TNBC-specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We support research at leading medical institutions and work really hard to inform you about any new developments in the area, including clinical trials. Educating our TNBC community with updates from major medical conferences like ASCO, AACR, and SABCS is critical. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This year, in response to the pandemic and the fact that fewer people were traveling to attend SABCS in person, we developed a new program to bring SABCS to you and to educate you about new developments. In the weeks leading up to the conference, we surveyed our TNBC community to see which questions you wanted answered, and we made sure to get those questions answered for you. The program, called Your Guide to SABCS, was launched in partnership with Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance, and Cancer Fashionista Foundation. So if you want more information about the data that came out of SABCS, please visit our website, tnbcfoundation.org, and click on Your Guide to San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. There, you'll find a blog detailing data that was, was presented from each day of the conference, as well as numerous video interviews with leading doctors, Q&As, panel discussions with researchers, and just so much more. Um, again, this can all be found on our website at tnbcfoundation.org. Additionally, today's teleconference is one of the many programs we offer. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of those living with triple negative breast cancer. Our many educational brochures and fact sheets are available in print or as free downloads from our website. We also have two free clinical trial matching services, one for TNBC in general and one for metastatic TNBC. These services are less overwhelming to navigate than other matching services because they're limited specifically to triple negative. You can find them both on our website. Also, our TNBC discussion forums that are available online at tnbcfoundation.org allow you to connect with others in our community who are living with triple negative breast cancer or caring for a loved one with this disease. People use the forums to ask questions about treatment, um, about how to manage their side effects, and anything else related to TNBC. But most importantly, our discussion forums offer consistent support. If you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should consider joining them. You can even join anonymously if you like. I can't stress enough how helpful they've been to so many women. The same is true for our discussions on our official private Facebook groups. If you'd like to join, join those, please send us a request via Facebook and I will personally approve you. Beyond that, the TNBC Foundation offers many other free educational programs and support services, including webinars that deal with everything from fear of recurrence to understanding clinical trials to living with metastatic disease. We also offer online support groups, which during this global pandemic can be especially useful. Finally, our community of patients, survivors, and caregivers meet regularly via Zoom for our virtual support groups, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends and Metastatic Mondays. 
they are, these are a wonderful way to connect with our group of thrivers. Our next Metastatic Monday is scheduled for January 10th, and our next Tuesday with TNBC Friends is taking place January 4th. You can register for these programs or any of our other programs at tnbcfoundation.org or by following links on our official social media channels. I know everyone is eager to get to the Q&A, so with that in mind, I'll end here. Thank you for joining us, and happy holidays. Dr. Messner, I'll turn the program back to you. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Dinneman. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful resource for everybody. I know many of you are using this resource, but for those of you who aren't, definitely take advantage of it. And um, I'm just going to say a few more words about the uh, free services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. They also have a wonderful HOPE line, 877-880-8622 or TNBC. And that is a wonderful resource for all of you to call um, and speak with um, oncology social workers about your concerns and questions. And um, our, the oncology social workers will be able to help you to actually access the full range of services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, um, as well as the clinical trial matching program. All of these services that Ms. Dinneman, um discussed can also be um, talked about with one of our oncology social workers. So with that being said, um, before we move on to the Q&A, um, I'm just going to ask you all just a few more questions, and then we're going to move on to the questions. So please get your questions ready, because we're all set pretty much to take your questions. Um, these questions that I'm going to ask you will just take about two minutes. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of new research on triple negative breast cancer presented at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates from San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of diagnostic testing, biomarkers and genetic testing in informing the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. As a result of what I've learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to communicate and work with the healthcare team to utilize their tips and suggestions to prevent and manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain presented at, the, at SABCS for people living with triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of participating in investigational new therapies and clinical trials for people living with triple negative breast cancer. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank everybody for participating um, in, the, in these questions. It helps us to inform the future programs we're planning in 2022. And also, I just want to um, acknowledge to all of you that I think that some of you had some issues with list, with hearing all of the presentations today, and so this program will be on replay um, as of tomorrow, and you'll be able to listen to the entire thing in its entire entirety, and it'll be playing for at least a year or two, um, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, so that if any if any of you missed anything anyone said, you can go back and listen to it um, on the replay. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask... Tamara to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And uh, uh, Tamara will explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. 
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And I have a question in front of our online participants, um, and this is for Dr. Kaklamari. One year after treatment, should I be getting tumor testing after cancer-free if it was not done beforehand? If so, what can I do? What can it do for me? Um, so right now, the answer is no. We have to do more clinical trials to see whether this tumor testing is actually going to be beneficial. So far, we don't know that it is, but there are clinical trials going on looking at that. So um, right now, the guidelines suggest that what we need to be doing is doing treatment up front to prevent the cancer from coming back. And then after that, we do our exams and our mammograms, but there's no recommendation for anything else. Okay, excellent. Um, and um, let's see, we have a question um, from another one of our online participants. Um, and this would be for Dr. Um, Liu. Do any chemo immunotherapy agents used to treat uh, triple negative breast cancer um, penetrate the blood brain barrier? Uh, yes. So some chemotherapy drugs um, are known to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, examples would include our platinum drugs, uh, so carboplatin, cisplatin in particular, um, and then uh, other chemotherapy uh, agents can be considered like Zolota or capecitabine, which is an oral medication or a pill form of chemotherapy. Uh, there are some targeted therapies, depending on the specific characteristics of the tumor, uh, that can cross the blood-brain barriers. There's, they tend to be smaller molecules. Uh, there is some excitement about sasituzumab govitekin, uh, which is the drug that uh, Dr. Hussein spoke about. Uh, it's marketed as Tridelvi. Um, it's an antibody drug conjugate. The chemotherapy part of that drug conjugate does cross the blood-brain barrier. Uh, so there are some studies now looking at a variety of these agents specifically for treatment of patients with brain metastases or perhaps more importantly looking to reduce the development uh, of brain metastases in the setting of metastatic breast cancer. Excellent. Thank you. And we have another question, um, and this is um, for Dr. Hussein. What are the various subsets of triple negative breast cancer? Um, does treatment vary depending on which a person has? Um, so triple negative breast cancer, uh, whenever somebody is diagnosed with that, that means that they are negative for the three main markers, which are estrogen, progesterone, and the HER2 receptor. We look at some variables, uh, including the tumor size and including node involvement and whether it's localized to the area of the breast and lymph nodes or widely spread in the body and other things like the um, uh, uh, markers like the KI67, which is an index that tells us how proliferating the tumor is and the grade of the tumor. And usually those are the main drives that uh, help us tailor a, a treatment plan after talking to our colleagues from surgery and radiation oncology. Um, there are some other features that currently do not drive um, any uh, changes in therapy. But as we mentioned previously, 
uh, whether the tumor is um, positive for this CPS score in the metastatic setting or not. Uh, it could be treated with a combination of immunotherapy in addition to chemotherapy. In the early stage setting, uh, it seems that everyone could benefit from that combination by size criteria. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, another question for Dr. Kaklamarni. Any updates on how long a person can remain on immunotherapy? Um, the quick answer is no. <laughs> we, we still struggle with that because uh, many patients can be on immunotherapy for a long time without any um, disease progression. And, and so some of our clinical trials uh, continue the immunotherapy forever. Some of them stop it after a year, year and a half or so. We're still trying to figure that one out. Okay, excellent. And um, so thank you. Um, these are great questions. I have to say they're very, very informed questions from our participants today. Um, and um, uh, a question from one of our online participants um, for Dr. Um, Lou, um, can you provide more info on ctDNA for early stage triple negative breast cancer? Uh, sure. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, so looking at circulating tumor DNA, and this is DNA uh, that is shed from tumors that are, you know, that we can see on scans or perhaps feel, uh, and they're shed into the bloodstream. So from a simple blood draw, uh, we now have the technology and the ability to detect those very small amounts of tumor DNA in the blood. Um, so what you could technically do on a tumor biopsy, um, we are starting to be able to do um, from the liquid biopsy format or from the blood. Um, in early stage disease, there's two potential um, significant uses for ctDNA. One is simply as a marker that there is tumor material in the blood. So, for example, a patient who has surgery uh, and maybe radiation and whatever medical therapy is prescribed for an early stage diagnosis, right now we're sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop because we just need to make sure that nothing comes back. We have no test that says, you know, you, there was a risk because even after all of this therapy um, that uh, there's still something shedding tumor material into the blood. So perhaps, and we don't know this for sure, um, additional therapy or at least increased surveillance is needed. Um, the other potential use for ctDNA is um, looking for specific tumor alterations um, that we might not see from a biopsy because of what we call tumor heterogeneity. In other words, a single tumor or, even, or multiple tumors in the same organ or different organs, if you're thinking about metastatic disease, um, might have slightly different features. Um, and where we biopsy or collect tissue from is really an issue of safety and feasibility from the perspective of getting the tissue, not knowing what is the truly relevant place to get tissue from, if you will. And the blood represents potentially um, all of those tumors because it's just representing things from everywhere. Um, so it may be a more comprehensive or complete um, view of what's happening with the tumor. Uh, again, uh, although these tools exist, we don't know that we should definitely be using them and certainly not sure exactly what circumstance to use them in. Um, so I think more a lot of excitement, um, but certainly not a standard of care yet. Thank you. 
And um, for Dr. Hussein, should all triple negative breast cancer patients without complete response to new adjuvant chemo be given capcitabine? So that's a great question. Um, so based on the results of a very important clinical trial called the CREATE-X trial, they did see a benefit from the addition of uh, Zalota or capcitabine after surgery, especially in the subset of triple negative um, breast cancer patients. But normally when we are trying to make that decision, um, we look for how much residual disease is remaining after the patient has received chemotherapy before surgery. And based on the size and based on which patient we're talking to, uh, whether the patient is open to receiving further chemotherapy or not, um, we would recommend it in the right circumstance. Um, Thankfully, this chemotherapy is very well tolerated, so a lot of patients are open to it. Um, and there is not only a, an improvement in um, the endpoint that we discussed earlier, the progression-free survival, or the length of time before the, uh, sorry, not progression-free survival. Uh, there is an improvement uh, in um, recurrence-free survival, or the chances of surviving with, uh, before the cancer um, returns back. So that's why it could really serve an important uh, purpose in this setting. Um, right now, what seems to complicate the, this answer a little bit more is that a lot of patients would receive a combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy before surgery. And so it's not a very clear um, answer as to whether we want to include the capecitabine with immunotherapy after surgery or not. So it's still, it's, it's a different uh, approach uh, based on what institution the patient is being treated um, in. Excellent. Thank you. I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been outstanding. This has been, I must say, we've done this program before, but these have been the most incredible questions, and our speakers have been phenomenal in answering your questions. Now, I do want to acknowledge that we have many more questions in queue, and that, indeed, we could easily spend another two hours addressing all your questions. So I do want to um, get to those questions right now. For those of you who either asked a question today, have a question yet to ask, or have thought of a question that you'd like to ask, please take all this information that you've learned today back to your treating healthcare team and please ask them. And even for those of you who either asked a question or didn't get to ask a question, please do take those questions back to treating healthcare team. They, of course, know you're the best and they can best um, answer the questions as they apply to you. Also, please take advantage of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's um, information, their hope line, their uh, website, um, and we will provide at the end of this program, you'll be getting a Survey Monkey evaluation, and in that Survey Monkey evaluation, there will be also resources for you to contact, um, and so you'll get not just an evaluation, but also we'd like you to fill it out, of course, but also you'll be getting a, um, a list of resources that you can contact for additional help. Most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with triple negative breast cancer. Um, I want you to know that you're now part of a fairly large community of support, um, and I want you to take advantage of that support. It is very... Um, people with cancer often have felt alone with triple negative cancer, any type of cancer felt alone, and particularly during this pandemic and, of course, um, with 
um, again, another surge in different parts of the country and world, um, to some extent that loneliness is greater for many people. And so please do take advantage of the support services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation of Cancer Care. These are services that are very important for you to utilize, very important to take advantage of them. Um, and also um, to take advantage, even though you may not be able to visit with people as much as you might like to, use the phone, use a Zoom call, any technology you can use to connect with other people is really important. Um, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very happy holiday season. Please take good care. And um, we'll be, uh, we have a few more programs coming up that you'll be uh, participating in. And then, of course, we have a whole bunch of programs in 2022 for you to participate in. Thank you all, and have a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.